Hello there, and welcome back to Beats by Social Work. I'm Kristen. And I'm Tiffany, your host for the show. We're so glad you came back. And for those who are tuning in for the first time, check out episode one to learn more about who we are. But a brief summary, we are both certified clinical transplant social workers who specialize in all things heart transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device. Our goal is to talk all the things transplant and LVAD, from the social work perspective and to bring the human element back into the world of transplant for our fellow social workers and our patients, as well as professionals who may stumble in. As a reminder, we are social workers, but we are not your social worker. So we hope topics discussed here will lead you to further discussions within your own transplant team. Welcome back, Beats by Social Work listeners. As always, we say our goal is to bring you the most up-to-date education and information in the world of transplant and LVAD, also known as left ventricular assist device, while also maintaining the human element. Today, we have two very special guests. We have Danielle Coleman and Kim Fryer from Wonders and Worries. Now, I just want to share my own personal experience with Wonders and Worries and meeting Danielle. She did an in-service at our hospital institution institution and I was just spellbound. I truly was. I was the child in the room that was so excited to learn and to get hands on. And I knew immediately because I was texting Tiffany throughout the in-servicing. She happened to send me a photo of it or a video, excuse me. And a video. video. So that video may or may not end up on our social media. I don't know. Uh, I love it. So everybody can witness the geeking out. (laughs) It was great. I loved it. I was a little jealous I wasn't there. We got to get them on this podcast. This is so cool. (laughs) So it's a true story. Yeah. Wonders and Worries provides free professional support for children and teenagers through a parent's serious illness so they can reach their full potential. Their experts provide the foundation children and teenagers need to reach their full potential even through their parent's illness. Though individual and group therapy sessions, kids and teens learn about illness and build coping and communication styles. Their comprehensive programming is the only one of its kind in the U.S. And since 2001, Wonders and Worries has provided the building blocks for families to succeed while dealing with a serious illness. Now, guys, we did steal that from your website, but just speaks volumes. I know that I have worked with our child life specialist at my institution, and I cannot say enough about child life specialists as a whole. Um, That being said, can you guys tell us a little bit more about yourselves and your own words and kind of how you got into this work? Why don't we start with Kim? Okay. Hello, everyone. I'm Kim. I'm so excited to be reaching all of you through this amazing podcast. So I became a child life specialist in May of 1992 and worked in uh, the Children's Hospital setting for nine years at Children's Medical Center of Dallas. It's now Children's Health um, with all types of different diagnoses, children with various diagnoses and kind of settled in um, the cancer, you know, inpatient outpatient realm with children with cancer. And then I moved to Austin and found Wonders and Worries in 2000. 2003. So I have been with Wonders and Worries since January, actually of 2003, and have just loved it, have worked with many, many families and um, have just been able to put Child Life, which we're going to talk a little bit more about what Child Life is, but to apply it to children who are impacted by illness through their parents' serious illness. It's just been an incredible privilege to do the work that that we do. So Danielle, you go. And I I wanted you to go first, Kim, because I just, whenever I'm with Kim, 
everything she says, I just like absorb it. She's like this wealth of knowledge and she's just been in the profession so long and she's been with Wonders and Worries forever. So I just always love being in the same room with Kim, but I am Danielle. Um, I have been a child life specialist for nine years now. I was at Texas Children's Hospital for seven years in the hematology outpatient clinic. Joined Wonders and Worries when they opened their Houston office in 2020 and just slowly been growing our footing here in the Houston area and just been really enjoying the culture of Wonders and Worries and the services they offer in the community set setting. It's been a privilege. Oh no, that's awesome. I, and it's so great to be in the company of such a wealth of knowledge too, because you have so many experiences that we can all learn from. So I'm so happy to have you on. Can we start with what child life is and or what should social workers know about child life? Yeah, so I can I can answer that. So as child life specialists, we pull on multiple theorists and multiple modalities to help assess and guide our practice. And so with that assessment skill, we usually assess children and teens during stressful points in, like, in their journey. And so that being said, child life specialists historically work in the hospital setting in the pediatric world. And so we provide education and support for diagnoses we provide education and support for procedures. And so it being in the hematology world, I often pull on my own experiences. So like education regarding a port access, education regarding blood draws, IV starts. And then prior to that procedure, teaching coping skills that they can then use during that procedure. So providing choices and control. Like, do you want the nurses to count? Do you want, like, how many deep breaths do you want to take? Do you, would you like to use I spy books or like what distraction method would you like? And then, uh, then after that procedure, then we're working with the family to talk about what went well, what didn't go well, how can we improve on it next time, right? So just being this coach and this advocate in the hospital setting for these little tiny voices that often get lost in the big voices, right? We provide play in the hospital setting. I think that's probably one of the more important jobs that we play in and that we have in the hospital setting. We know that children learn through play, that they gain a sense of mastery through play and during stressful points in treatment or in their lives to allow play for them to play out what they've experienced is very valuable to them. It just allows for the adult to clear up any misconceptions, allows them to gain control, all things that... We, we just assume is play, but for them, it's work. That's the child's work. So in the hospital setting, we provide a lot of different things. Here in the community setting of Wonders and Worries, everything we do in the hospital setting, we apply to children with the parent of the, the, have, of the illness. And so again, diagnosis, education, side education regarding side effects of that diagnosis, coping skills to handle the stressors that come with having a parent with serious illness. So schedule changing, parents not being present as often for either being at the hospital or just too ill to play, right? And then something that we do here at Wonders and Worries and in the hospital setting is legacy building. So what that means is that we um, know that unfortunately parents will die from their illness and so still same with children. And so how can we make this as positive as possible for the whole family? So handprints, letters from parents or letters from children um, talking about death and dying in a very kid-friendly, age-appropriate manner. Yeah. Um, You know, when you're talking about the legacy, it reminds me... um, you guys have a podcast as well, Wonders and Worries. And I was listening to to your podcast, which was great. And the one that I stumbled upon that I think really resonated with me was the grieving teens. And you had four teens on there, I want to say, teens, tweens, and they were kind of talking about what it was like for them and what they wish people would know. And, uh, you know, I'll say that it resonated with me quite a bit because I was a teen and unexpectedly lost. And I'm like, man, hearing you guys talk about all this, I'm like, where was, where was the 
the child life specialist when I needed them yeah. because it is so much of the the things that you're talking about it it is able to help help those those kids these teens no matter which direction it goes for their parent of being able to remember that time you know if they did get the transplant they're still processing what happened in that waiting and that that what if and that unknown and unfortunately if they don't get that transplant or LVAD or it doesn't it's not successful or at some point it ends up not being successful and they have that to kind of go back on but allowing those kids to have that voice and what do they need for themselves Kim anything to add to that well, I mean, I'm just thinking about like what child life specialists do and, and how it's very similar in the community setting that we're in with Wonders and Worries, but how it's different. And one of the differences is children don't see what's happening in the medical environment. Um, you know, pre-COVID, maybe they got to see some, but, you know, since COVID and, and even then, most of the time a parent is going for their treatments and their doctor's appointments and their hospitalizations and children aren't there. And so they struggle even more to understand like what is happening and parents absolutely struggle with how do I explain this to them? Do I tell them? What do I tell them? How much do I tell them? And so we really have that unique skill set. We can guide any professional. We would love to guide any and all of your social workers who, you know, maybe are questioning that themselves like, oh, how would I help a four-year-old understand what's happening with their mom's LVAD or their dad's, you know, transplant? They know things are different. Mm -hmm. They see the small changes. They see the big changes and they sense all the nuances, the emotional changes, the schedule changes, and they really need help making sense of it. And most parents will say like after they've been able to talk with their children in a way that maybe they hadn't before, they're like, I feel such a sense of relief because now we can just start to have ongoing conversations and not feel like we're tiptoeing around what we say. It always comes from a place of love, right? I think a lot of times I like to tell parents, like, if we could just wrap them up in bubble wrap and send them into the world, we would, but we can't. So like, how can we arm arm them with tools to face the world and be resilient? That's one of the biggest worries that they have as they're also facing this huge life event, but that weight of explaining it to my kids, explaining what that is. So how do social workers collaborate with child life specialists? And when do we engage you? Absolutely. So we would love to be engaged from the very beginning, but you, we can be engaged at any point in the journey. It could be an end of life happening today situation, or it could be, we think we have a new diagnosis situation, or we think we have a new, you know, season of now the heart is at a point where we are looking at transplant or we're approaching LVAD or whatever it may be. So any step of the way you can engage with us, but we love to start as early in the process as possible because then we can really help families, you know, set that strong foundation of open communication and talking with their children and teens at their developmental levels and not overloading them with information, but not, you know, withholding because they're too, they're too worried that they're going to overload them. Um, and the how is for your listening audience, the, there's two ways, but I'm going to say the easiest way is through our national helpline. We have a national okay. helpline. It's 844-WE-WONDER. We also have an email that goes with that helpline at wondersandworries.org. And so any of your listeners, whether you're a 
whether you're a professional, a social worker, or another professional, or a parent, you can call and we can guide you. We can just start where you are. And then if, depending on where you are in the country, if you're in Houston or Austin or San Antonio, we have our internal team. If you're outside of those areas, we have um, registered providers that we've been supporting who are available. And we'll just, we'll do the best we can to connect you with local resources for in-person, but there's so much we can do over the phone and virtually. We have more of an impact when the referral is placed earlier on, just because the family is not in crisis mode as much as if later on. And so we can, like Kim said, lay down that foundation of coping skills that can then be utilized throughout the diagnosis and throughout the treatment. So what I'm what I'm kind of hearing is we can rely on you guys to help us in focusing on the kids and knowing that the children have that outlet, allowing us to focus on patients and, and working yes. through what's going on with them. Yeah. Time is always a challenge, right, with all of the different tasks. The biggest tip mm-hmm. is to be asking regularly about, are there children in your life? Do you have children in your home? Do you have children who are impacted by what's happening? Like making that a part of the ongoing assessment and support. Mm-hmm. And then at each step, of the journey, you know, if you're working with the patient around their support system, then asking about their child's support system, you know, Mm -hmm. putting it top of their mind. If you're doing diagnosis teaching with the patient, then be thinking about or be recommending, you know, we have resources that can help you with thinking about diagnosis teaching for your children or treatment teaching. So just kind of each step of the way, keeping that family-centered care approach and never forgetting the children and teens who might be impacted. No, I love that. And I love that you offer that hotline. So if we have our social work listeners or any professional or parent that, you know, maybe live in a rural area or do not have child life as a resource in their hospital institution, being able to reach out and say, okay, this is my problem and this is what I need help with. How do I, you know, what do I do? How do I navigate that? I actually have two questions. So Tiffany, I'm going to hijack the conversation for just a moment. The first question that I have is what, like we've mentioned already about how our adult population as as adult social workers we're very used to how to assess that and how to ask and educate our our adult population but how is it different to educate a child as a po- or or navigate that process with a child as it is a, an adult yeah, so I think with child life, um, we like to integrate a lot of play into educating children. And so that that's our biggest tool that we use. And the big fancy word that's been coming out a lot, a lot of lately is uh, STEAM, the science, technology, engineering, arts, and math. Mm-hmm. And so that's been like the big word that's been. And so child life actually has been integrating all those things for many years into our practice. But actually, when I was thinking about this podcast and thinking about how we do diagnosis education, I was talking to my coworker and she actually said the best thing is that when a child has a closed door, we use a window to get in, right? And so when, and I think that applies to parents too, like how do I tell my kids, like there's this door blocking them. How do I provide this education? So as child life specialists, we use this window to get in and provide a very kid-friendly manner of providing that education. So um, it's just, and we use books and arts and crafts and play and things like that to provide that education without going into too much detail. The piece I'll add to that, which, you know, we're all doing all the time as professionals, but we're partnering with parents because they know their children best. They know their temperaments, their personalities, their, you know, just all of those things about them. And then we have that knowledge in child development and some of the kind of key challenges that, and you know, kind of 
tasks that children are working on at different stages and phases. And we have the experience of having worked with many, many families and learning from them and learning from our own interactions. So um, it's it really is that partnership and balancing out like the value and the benefit of communicating regularly with your children around what's happening, but doing it in that way that doesn't overload them, that helps it it makes sense to them, but then finding ways to help them process it, process it through play. And even just normalizing it, we'll regularly tell parents, you know, your child will probably last for maybe five minutes in this conversation. I mean, maybe 10, but be prepared for them to be like, okay, you've just told me this now, can I get a snack? And can I go play? And then parents are like, I don't think they understood anything I said. And then coming back to it and realizing, oh, they did understand, but they need many, many, you know, conversations and just kind of that, what is normal? What, does this mean my child is not coping well, or does this mean my child is coping in kind of a typical way for the situation? So we can really help normalize and validate those concerns that parents have when they're like, I don't think my child's coping well. And we can help them kind of determine, well, maybe that's exactly what we would expect given their age and the circumstances. Mm -hmm. I love that you said that, Danielle, you're the closed door and open window, because that is so often, and we're talking with patients and they have that kind of discussion of, I don't think my kid needs this. I think my kid's okay. And, uh, you know, as Kim said too, of they know their, their child the best, but they also don't know their child in this context. And so it's merging those two. And so I love that you, you kind of phrase it in that manner because it is, it's, they don't know what they don't know sometimes yes. in, in this too, yes. but sorry, go ahead, Kristen. <laughs> I just wanted to highlight that. No. And I think that's fair. I, I actually, I have a family right now that has two older kids that are like 10 and 13 and then a six-year-old and they're like, six-year-old doesn't know anything that's happening. And I was like, but I bet you he does. <laughs> and so and I was like, just like a, a nugget that I picked up in the hospital setting that I've continued on at Wonders and Warriors is let's just give it a try. Like if it's a fail, we tried it. Like all I'm asking is a try. And so it's like, I had one session with the little boy with the mom present. And I was like, just like, Hey, what's going on with mommy? And he's, he, he was like, she has cancer. And mom's face just dropped. Oh, wow. um, and so like, like, and they do, they, they are, they're better listeners than I think a lot of parents give them credit. And unfortunately, mm-hmm. because they are really good listeners, they take what they get pieces here, pieces there, but they're terrible decoders. Right. And so then they can make terrible, you know, the, the situation worse than it maybe really is. And so you're, you're, you're right, Tiffany, like parents do know their children well, but I think again, from a place of love that they want to shelter them not talking about it doesn't keep it from happening. Your child is experiencing the situation, whether you're talking about it or not. And so they're either experiencing it in isolation from interaction and connection with you, or you're experiencing it, you know, in a way where you can kind of understand each individual's experience where you're doing it more openly. You gave kind of a breakdown of the key questions that a a child wants to know. And can you go over that for Mm -hmm. us? Yeah, yes, of course. So a lot of common questions that we hear from children, and Kim, please chime in, is what will happen to my family member? What will treatment be like? Did I cause this? 
Can I catch this? And then a lot of times the most big question that we get is who will take care of the things that that parent does normally, right? And so we have to know in that kid brain that they're still very egocentric and that it's okay that they are worried about their day-to-day life being interrupted. And so I often like to coach the three C's. So when having to the answer this, like, can they catch it? Did they cause it? And what is the cure, right? And so, no, you, you can't catch it. And so that's a good game goes to that education of germs versus like cells in the body changing or like body parts not working like the way they were supposed to, right? So that delineation of education between the two things, like you can catch a cold, you can catch flu because those are germs that are spread on surfaces. But then did I cause it? So another common thing we like to say in our field for this preschool age range is magical thinking. Mm. And so they have just enough vocabulary, just enough education, but this vast imagination to think that I pushed my brother so I caused my mom to get sick. Right. Mm. And so the best example I actually have of that is, again, I like to pull from my own clients is I had a six year old boy again, and he was like, my daddy got stomach cancer because he ate too many gummy worms. And so he stopped eating gummy worms. He was terrified Mm. of them, terrified of them. And so it took, I actually took a couple of like reiterations of sessions to be like, no, this didn't cause daddy's stomach cancer for him to to trust to eat gummy worms again. And then the, the last one, the cure. And so I always hyper focus on this one a lot because we want to talk about goals, right? So what is the goal currently? Is the goal to get the LVAD? Is it to get the heart transplant? What is the goal? Because goals can change. And so that's why I like to set the tone of goals because if the goal changes that unfortunately we're moving towards hospice, the conversation then can follow that. So you can reiterate like at the beginning, we talked about the goal was X, Y, and Z, but unfortunately now it's this. And so that kind of helps set that platform and guide the conversation as it all kind of transpires. And to piggyback off of that, Danielle, I love that you focused on the goals because that's where parents often get stuck. Like I, it's hard to have these conversations without talking about death and dying. And if they don't feel ready to talk about death and dying, you know, the what ifs, what if this doesn't work? What if something changes? Or what if the goal is, you know, comfort care? Um, how do I have those conversations? And so we want them to be ready. It's very, very normal in common. We always prepare parents. Your child will likely ask that question at some point. And if they don't, we encourage you to bring it up like you might be wondering about and then start to talk about, you know, the goal right now. This is what I understand is happening right now. This is what I believe. And this is what my medical team is believing right now. But let's have a plan, you know, going to that question that Danielle mentioned, like who will take care of me? What will happen to me? It's always beneficial for parents, regardless of whether they have a serious illness or not, to talk with their children about, let's look at your support system and all the people who love you. And this is who would pick you up from school if I couldn't. This is who would tuck you into bed, you know, if I had to go to the ER or was in the hospital, or if I were to die, if those people who care for you day to day right now weren't able to, this is who would, you know. So having those conversations are so important and really can create 
that, you know, then children can be like, okay, and then they can focus on the present, which they will naturally do. They'll naturally focus on the here and now much more than we do as adults. And the, the other thing I wanted to piggyback on what you were saying, Danielle, is I love the, the three C's and, and focusing on the goals. And what I often say to parents is focus on what's happened to this point, like helping children understand, like what happened that we got to here, like with your body and that kind of thing? How did you learn about it kind of thing? What's happening right now? And then what do I think is expected to happen next? with some plan B's and plan C's built in, Mm. but you don't have to, and you know, teens may, and then let their questions guide you. So a teenager or a tween may be like, but what about this? And what if this happens and all these hypotheticals? And if they're asking, they're needing to hear more and they're needing to kind of talk through with their parent. But if they're not asking, then they're just kind of like, okay, I understand what has happened, what's happening now and what might happen next. And that makes it much more manageable to kind of focus on that versus all the potential scenarios. To, to add on to that, Kim, too, but when they're not asking, right? Like when you have, when you do tell them and they do run off to go play and there, it doesn't get brought back up, right? And so I think that is another conversation we often have with our caregivers is like, should I give them space to talk about this? What do I do when they don't ask those questions? And so we often encourage like a sense of routine that there's a safe time and place to ask those questions. And so again, one of my families, this dad without even prompting from me every night with his daughter, they did pillow talk. And so he would lay in bed with her, they would do their bedtime routine. And then at the end, he'd say, what questions do you have about mommy? And so and so, sometimes she would have a ton and sometimes she'd be like, you know, I just want to tell you about my day at school. Mm-hmm. And that was okay. But she wasn't one to ask the questions unless prompted. And so they got into this like really good routine. Another one that we encourage here at Wonders and Worries is a wonders and worries jar. And so again, it kind of helps with that nonverbal kiddo that might be anxious about talking about it. It's where they, it's a jar with paper that's set in somewhere in the house, like the kitchen, the living room, really common area where if a kiddo does have a question or wonder or worry, and they want to put it in the jar, they can. And at a designated time as a family, a piece of paper gets pulled out and they don't have to leave their name. They don't need to know who it is in the family and they can talk about it as a family. Because one kiddo's worry or question might be another sibling's question or worry as well. And so it can kind of get addressed. But those are some other common things we get from parents is like, what if they're not asking questions? Does that mean they're coping well? Are they not coping well? And it depends on the child. Yeah. And and we always talk about like, think about your child before this happened and what was their kind of style and need for information. Were they a question asker, an information seeker? Were they more of kind of a go with the flow? I don't need a lot of info. And one tip I was thinking as you were talking about the Wonders and Worries Jar, Danielle, is, you know, anyone on the medical team and certainly the social workers could send something, you know, with home with a parent, like questions for my mom's medical team, questions for my dad's medical team, where a child oh, or team could, and then the parent could bring it back. I was just thinking about that as you were talking about that jar <laughs> of even, even patients that are in the hospital waiting, because that's another part that it, it can be hard on the, the child, I imagine, and have seen, but kind of thinking of almost doing a FaceTime aspect, because I do like to tell my patients, you know, if your child has questions, let me know, and I can arrange for a time for the physician to come in and have a one-on-one with them. Again, with the precautions out there now, we can't always bring them into the hospital, although our child life specialist has been helping us with doing that, but kind of setting a time to, to get the physician in there to be able to talk directly to make the child feel like they're part of it too. But I love that jar. 
yeah. idea. Yeah. But, but how powerful, Tiffany, that you are like, you matter enough in this family that I'm going to pull the position in for you to ask the questions. Like you just made that child this like really significant person in the house and like really probably bolstered their self-confidence a, a lot. Like that gave me goosebumps. I was like, wow, that's really powerful. It absolutely is. And I was just going to say like the child or teen, thinking about teens, their way of interacting, because I can think of a dad who would Snapchat his daughter. He was he was experiencing a lengthy hospitalization. And, you know, his daughter wasn't up for a phone call and she was busy with her high school life. And so every morning they had this routine where she'd like Snapchat a picture of her like coffee cup or her textbook. And he would Snapchat maybe the person taking care of him that day or something in his room. And then that could lead to more like questions. But it's it's thinking about like, what is my child's mode of connection and entering in that way? It's a great example of meeting your kids where they're at. That is such a beautiful series of examples and tips, which is so, I'm just so glad that we're having this conversation and so organically as well, because uh, the the question that I was going to ask, and as you're talking, I'm coming up with more and more and more things to ask. So I inadvertently messaged Tiffany, please, I hope you don't mind that I'm going to probably monopolize today, but <laughs> I will insert or rephrase the question that I had in mind for you. And w- one of the things that we face quite often in solid organ transplant, as well as left ventricular assist device patients, is long hospitalizations. Long hospitalizations where we have no idea if or when they're going to get out of the hospital. There's setback after setback after setback. And and you mentioned the jar, and Tiffany, you brought up bringing in the physician and having FaceTime moments, the Snapchat example. Those are all such good tips and tricks that social workers can utilize. Yeah, the black and white is a really, I like that one because we often will try to like hide the monitors in the back, especially if they're in the ICU and the pillow, like kind of prop them up with a pillow. But yes, absolutely. Tiffany, if I may piggyback off of you as well to just share a vulnerable moment. Um, There was a time when I had a very, very dear patient of mine that passed away and they, I asked, you know, how can I be the most helpful to you as a family? And they said, can you sit with his eight-year-old brother in the lobby while we discontinue life support? And I, so I sat with him and he knew what was going on, but I felt so ill-prepared for that moment. It was very late in the evening. Uh, Child life had gone home for the day. It was just the way it worked out. And I did not know what to do. I didn't know what to do. And it was scary. So is there any words of encouragement? Because I'm sure that there are many social workers out there that may find themselves in a similar situation where they're like, I am so not equipped for this. What am I doing out here in this lobby with this kiddo? Is there anything you can offer to them or to my my former me? (laughs) Yes. What an important question. Be fully present. Like I am certain, Kristen, that you did so much more for the eight-year-old that you were with than you can ever know, just your presence. But it truly is letting that child know that you are there for them and that you care about them and their experience. And it's just giving that opportunity to try to see through through their eyes what is it that they're experiencing. And having, like Danielle was talking about, you know, children express themselves and they process through play. So grabbing what ever you can. So there's something that a child or teen can do. It can be a paper and pencil, you know, it could be your notebook, but something that could be like a hands-on or just having a simple game in mind, like an I spy or, you know, a rock, paper, scissors or a Simon says, but just a few like simple things in your back pocket that feel 
somewhat kind of normal and that you can offer as a way to connect. And then saying something like, and we say this at Wonders and Worries all the time, like, I would imagine that there's lots of things that you're wondering about with what's happening right now. I know other children that have been in this situation and they've had lots of things that they've wondered about. Is there anything you'd like to tell me that you're wondering about? Like to just try to get a sense of where that child is, but they may not be able to put into words. And it truly is often just that presence of just being with them. Yeah, and I, w- I would agree with everything you said, Kim. I think busy hands allow for open minds, right? And so we we do a child life specialist in the hospital setting and even at Wonders and Worries, we'll always have some sort of like play tool on us. Like when I worked at the hospital, I had an iSpy badge. I had like a wand attached to it, like just things that like you could very easily pull from and they could make a game out of because it just, it's a, it first delineates you from other people in this, the hospital, right? Like, oh, wow, this person's playing with me? Like that's, that's somebody different in the hospital setting. So first you open that closed door, you're opening, you're coming in through a window, right? And so you're like, okay, first off, you're somebody different because you're playing with me. And then second off, like with Kim, you're, you're, you're just being present. And I, I, I always like to say that like, depending on the kid's age, I want to inform them that I'm, I'm your advocate, right? I'm here to answer questions for you. I am here to ask questions for you. What can I do for you? I am here for you and you only. So that person does feel as though like they are being seen. They're not this tiny voice. You have a big voice and that big voice is important to me. And so that's, I always want to make sure that's there too. And so an example I actually just have this week is um, one of my clients is newly working with her and their, her dad wouldn't let her go to the hospital to see mom. And they told me in advance as to why, because mom has been very weak, sleeping more. And frankly, they just thought that she'd be bored. And she goes, I'm really worried that they're not letting me go see mom. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm your advocate. Would you like me to encourage you to go see her? And she said, yeah. And she goes, but why are they not letting me? And I said, because mom's sleepy and very weak right now. And they think you're going to be bored. And she, she had the best eight-year-old response ever. Grownups can be so silly. I would entertain myself. I can read to mom. I can draw her pictures. And I was like, you're right. You're so right. And so I, I think just making sure that these kids know that you are a different person in the hospital setting and that you're there for them. And to just back up, sometimes I think you maybe thought about this, Kristen, in that situation, and maybe you didn't, and either way is okay. But I think it's always helpful just to start with, you know, what do you understand is happening in the room with your parent? You know, just that open-ended, or, you know, would you like to draw a picture about what is happening in the room right now? Just to try to get some sense of what is the child understanding. And of course, in conjunction with the family and what they've already shared and what, you know, they would like shared. But being an adult separate from their family who can talk about difficult things, that is a huge gift to them. And that's why Wonders and Worries is one of the huge reasons that we're here. Because even when parents are doing all the things, their children will naturally protect them. You know, they'll naturally be strong. They'll naturally say, no, I don't have any questions or worries. No, I'm okay. I'm doing fine because they don't want to add to the stress and the burden. But if they have someone outside of their family that they feel like, I don't need to protect this person. And this person is telling me they can talk about death. They can talk about serious illness. They can talk about tough feelings. You may be really surprised. And that's what we see all the time. Children telling us really, really big things um, because they know we can handle it and we don't have to be protected. And then we can help 
with that communication, you know, and that connection with parents. And the only other thing I'll say, because it doesn't come natural if you don't work with children regularly, is to try to match their affect. If you have a child who's really quiet, don't come in and be like, let's, you know, let's try to change that. But just to enter into that interaction with them where they are, you know, if they're laying on the floor, well, sit on the floor at least. You might even decide to lay on the floor with them. But match them physically and just kind of at that level of affect where they can feel connected and just kind of stick with them through that. That's powerful. No, thank you so much. And I really appreciate you sitting with my past self in that vulnerability. And Tiffany, thank you for sharing your vulnerability as well. I really appreciate it because I think that it's true. We, we've we probably been through experiences where a child life specialist was very important and could have been very vital to that process. So I'm so thankful to get to learn from y'all. So Tiffany, any questions that you have? Um, I would just probably say, you know, kind of in wrapping up, is there any other specific tricks or tips or suggestions that you have or mobilities that you wanted to share about kind of working with with children or things that you've done that you found very beneficial? Danielle, did I had one activity idea I was thinking about, but Danielle, did you want to share the activity with the heart home? Do you guys want to, the one that we did the presentation, Kristen? She still has it. <laughs> <laughs> For those of you not seeing our video, I, I keep my little, my child life heart on my desk. <laughs> so the heat has kind of broken the balloon a little bit, but he's still there. <laughs> yes. So it, it kind of goes back to what we were talking about, how child life provide education through play and through art and through science experiments. And so one of the great resources that we offer here at Wonders and Worries to teach about just the heart is um, we make a model of the heart. But before we even do that, oftentimes before we provide any sort of education, we always want to talk about just the healthy body as a, as a whole. And so we always start with usually cell education when it comes to like the blood. And so we can do that in two different modalities. There's blood soup where you use hot, like red hots for red blood cells, little mini marshmallows for white blood cells. And then you can use rice for the platelets, Skittles, different things like that. And it sounds really gross. You're like, blood soup, what? <laughs> but it's the kids, it's again, hands-on, something tangible, something very concrete for this very abstract thing that's inside of our body. For older kids, you can use bingo dot markers. So you have red for red blood cells. And we talk about how red blood cells, their job is to carry oxygen. And then we talk about that that's the air we breathe and that gets us energy. And then we have white blood cells. Their job is to fight germs. What are germs? Germs make us sick. And then you have platelets. And so platelets, I always compare them to band-aids. So what's the job of a band-aid? The job of a band-aid is to stop our bodies from bleeding. So then you can tie that into the heart. So again, what is the healthy heart? The healthiest heart's job is to pump blood through our body. So when our hearts are weak, it's not pumping the blood through our bodies as efficiently as it could be. So if we're not getting those red blood cells full of oxygen through our body, as quickly as and effectively as we're supposed to, is our mom and dad a little tired? And so like kind of piecing together why our parent is more tired, why our parent maybe has to be more cautious by wearing a mask or be washed, we have to wash our hands more often because we're not getting those white blood cells through our body as effectively. Or like, why do we have to be more careful when little boys wanna wrestle with their parents? Because they could bruise more easily right now, right? So connecting the whys to a lot of the kids' questions as to what's happening 
to their parent. We know that it's just a lot of times adults are just like, they're just playing, but that's the work of children. It's okay to make messes. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yes. Messes it's are really okay fun. It's okay to make messes. Yeah. Messes are so fun. <laughs> And uh, you know, I'm sorry, but you should have seen Kristen geek out at that presentation. It was hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. It's so true. <laughs> well, we need that too. Like a lot of times when we do these fun activities with children, parents are like, this is really helping me. It's helping me understand mm-hmm. what's going on with my heart. Or like we have a doll with a porta calf and parents are like, I ne- I've never seen my porta calf. Can I see that? I want to understand how it works. And so, and then the child can become the teacher and how empowering we're like, yeah. they're helping their parent understand in a different way. And I'll just add a couple things. I wanted to just plug resources because we've talked about our helpline, but we have a wealth of resources on our website. And so we we have an activity book that 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 is one of those things that we sell. There's lots of things we have for free, but it has in, it has this activity. It has incredible activities in it. If you're a professional out there that you're like, oh my gosh, I just want like a new library of activities. I think there's a hundred something in there and it can be digital or, oh, that's great. or um, I meant to bring mine to Colorado. I didn't bring mine with me, but I have the hard copy because I love to just pull it out. I mean, I use it all the time and these are activities that, that we do at Wonders and Worries. And then of our podcast, the Wondercast is the name of our podcast and you can find it on all the podcast places. But Danielle did a podcast called Kids Speak and it's one that I highly recommend that is about basically using items from around your home to help teach children about different medical things. And then it's just the misconceptions, like kind of understanding how to (laughs) kind of decipher what a child might be thinking in other ways to help them understand. And I want to add one activity because I I think it's so powerful. We often hear, and I imagine you all hear parents talking about how they feel guilty, that even though they can't control what's happening medically to their body, they feel guilty because they're the reason that you know, the family isn't able to do the things that the family would normally be doing. And, you know, they just carry that burden of guilt and children will naturally, even in the best of circumstances, they will act out towards their parent, right? If they're upset about something, then it's mommy's mommy's fault or daddy's fault. And you should have been able to, to fix this or make this better. And so when you have a child, which is very common that children, you know, will, will show how they're coping through their behavior, you'll see behavior changes, they'll withdraw or they'll act out. And so we'll have parents tell us, you know, my child's really angry with me and I don't know what to do about that. I feel so guilty because it's my fault, even though we know it's not their fault, that I can't play with them. I can't do all the things. So the activity is really to shift that and to to focus all of that frustration and that sadness and and those feelings at the medical situation, at the illness, at this thing that, you know, children don't normally see as concrete, but let's name it, let's call it something, and then let's create a target and let's put all those things on there that we don't like about, you know, heart disease. Heart disease did this to our family and this to our family and and you do it together. And what that does is it creates a bonding experience Mm -hmm. around we're both really angry with heart disease. We wish that it hadn't taken away my energy so that I could play with you like I used to and so that I didn't have to be in the hospital. And so there's all sorts of ways you could do the target. But one of, an example from a family I worked with that I loved, they you could use a window. They happen to have one of those like glass covers to their fireplace. So they took window markers and wrote the target on the 
glass cover to the fireplace and they just kept a basket of Nerf guns and Nerf darts and dry erase markers. And anybody at any time could add to the target. Well, now I'm mad today because of this. And they could grab their Nerf dart gun and shoot at the target. So parents could do that. Children could do that. Um, at Wonders and Worries, we love to take poster board and give everyone a roll of toilet paper and a bowl of water and just throw big wet wads of toilet paper at the target. Um, so, <laughs> but anyway, as a family that you can shift it to say really all of these feelings that we're feeling, we want to find a way to direct those at this situation, at the medical situation and not at each other. Yeah, I love that. And and I think you're exactly right. You you redirect and you never stop playing. I think a lot of these things are things that can be done with our patients too. So yeah. I, I, mm-hmm. I think that's incredible. This has been great. We've learned so much. Hopefully our listeners have as well. And I think we, we've reached our, our ending point here, but we want to end with a quote. I, I want to start off by saying thank you so much for uh, mentioning your resources too, because that was one thing we wanted to make sure to get that out there. And for those listening, those will be on our show notes. We'll also have a blog post on our website too, because I think that all the resources that Kim and Danielle have mentioned are so vital to everything that we do. So thank you again, Kim, for that and mentioning that. Uh, The quote that I have is by Albert Einstein, and it is, play is the highest form of research. There you go. Uh, I mean, we just have to sit with that for a moment. (laughs) (laughs) So yes, and I think that we have proven that today. Kristen, I absolutely love that because, you know, we we do other forms of research at Wonders and Worries, and we're actually in the process of kind of determining like our research goals for the next kind of iteration. But I'm going to go back to our team and just remind all of us, we are doing research every day, mm-hmm. all day That's right. with our children and parents. And it's so true. It, what a wonderful quote. Yeah, I love it. Well, and I'm going to sneak in too. You know, you said that uh, Kristen was geeking out at your your presentation, Danielle. We want to play a little bit here. We like to do a Likert scale with each of our episodes. And so we, uh, again, usually kind of start that at the beginning of Vitals Check, have you? When you go to the doctor, you do a check-in, see how things are going before you get to the the meat of it. We're going to do it at the end here, but kind of a check-in to see how you're doing today on this, this fine Sunday. So we like to make them up on the fly. And today is no different, <laughs> but in, in kind of conjunction with what uh, what we've been talking about, let's say on a scale of working with a family that is completely open to child life specialists, the doors open, the windows open, and you have all the resources to build, a, you know, with all the different modalities to working with a family that's closed, locked doors, windows, and there's there's in fact no resources in that area to be able to to assist. Where would you put yourself uh, on your scale today? And your answer can also be something that you make up as well. So it's all about play and having fun. I can go first. I would have to say, I we uh, saying in the child life world is that I, I think I'm in unicorn land where oftentimes we're like, if we could come in with like a magic wand and fix everything, we would. And so I would have to say right now, I feel like I have a magic wand after talking to you guys. So thank Aww. you for having my magic wand Aww, today. that's awesome. Yes, I I definitely am much more towards the end of like things just being open and like because it just these interactions and just coming together and collaborating together, it generates like new ideas and new energy and excitement around all of the work that we do. And it does that with the parents we work with as well. So I would say for me personally, it's kind of all the open things. But 
well, professionally, it's sorry, professionally, it's that end. Personally, I just like relocated in the midst of like kind of vacation coming and I'm in a space that needs some deep cleaning because it's been kind of closed up and there's like bugs and things. And so it's kind of that like, oh, you know, the foundation is there and I see the excitement like on the other end, but there's some work to do. Like I'm kind of in that mode of I want to get to work to like get it all clean and ready and, and excited so we can all just like enjoy it together. So I always try to find, I don't always, but I always try to find the joy in the work mm-hmm. because the work, is, you know, the process, the joy in the process, mm-hmm. that's what it's all about. And so that, that joy in the, in the getting the bugs out of, you know, the cabin, getting, you know, <laughs> vacuuming and yeah. do, doing that kind of thing, opening the windows, getting the dust out. So yes. um, that's where Shake I Shake the dust. Yep. And I, I'm not going to lie, your Liker scale assessment has integrated it into my relationship with my husband. Whenever he's <laughs> kind of having like a really rough day, he doesn't like when I quote unquote child like them and start validating him. So I've started like, okay, Liker scale. And like, I've, I've been making my own up too. I'm like, okay, you're at Messina Hoff drinking like the best wine or you're at the four buck Chuck at Trader Joe's. Like, where are you right now? And how and that has really seemed to actually help our marriage. So again, I have loved your podcast quite a bit, guys. That's awesome. I'm going to have to try that, Danielle. I love that. my husband. Yeah. So thank you for all the nuggets that you have given me while listening to your podcast. Oh, thank you. That's so great to hear. It's great to hear. Yeah, so for marriage support. Without even you guys realizing it, you're providing marriage I mean, support. the role of a social worker is never done, right? We, we go everywhere. Never right? done. <laughs> My college students right. that will be reuniting. I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> great for parties. Oh Invite a social gosh. worker to any party that you're going to have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Just don't take us on road trips because then you're a captive audience. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> good. Good. All right. Well, thank you very much for having us. Yes. Thank you yes, so much. It's been so- great so much. Oh, thank you all. I hope you have a wonderful holiday that you get some time to just be with friends and family and do some self-care and self-charging. So happy holidays to both of you. Yes. You too. Beats by Transplant Social Worker hosts Kristen and Tiffany and affiliated guests and programs expressly disclaim responsibility and shall have no liability for any damages, loss, injury, or liability whatsoever suffered as a result of your reliance on the information contained in this podcast or in any media. And none of the persons and entities noted above endorse specifically any test, treatment, or procedure mentioned in the show. Always consult your own treatment team or institution for guidance on your individual care and or practice and policies.